There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me for my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I have been the deputy site manager for three seasons now and the uh, minor league editor for the better part of six seasons now. Joining me this evening, only two of us tonight as we do a special mailbag, mailbag episode. I really like doing these, and to give kind of the other guys a bit of a break, they have other stuff going on. Uh, I decided to enlist the one-man army that is Gaurav Vidak. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at GVDAC on Twitter. Gaurav, how are you, buddy? Here we go. I'm excited that we're only weeks away from starting from uh, opening day now. Yeah, it's wild. I, I mean, I'm, I've been a little out of it this week, if I'm just being honest about it, because daylight savings, like, I don't think it usually hits me this bad, but that combined with getting my first shot of the vaccine, like, I've been kind of out of sorts for, like, 72 hours now. But I just keep, like, coming back to them, like, how close it is that baseball being – we have baseball ha- happening in spring training, obviously, but, like, the season's, like, really, really close on the major league level. And then, you know, start of May is going to be the minor league season. Really kind of excited to get back out on the field because – and that was actually one of the reasons I was the most excited about being vaccinated is I felt like I could go to, you know, to the fields and not, not feel like I would be, like, a burden on the public health I uh, would, you know, be putting myself or my family or anyone else in jeopardy, or at least not nearly as much. And, you know, that's kind of, that was kind of like my thought process is I'm like, you know, I, I can get out and I can watch my early baseball games again. You know, I can, you know, get out and start doing the scouting thing again. And I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, speaking of which, you know, we have, I mean, coming up in May, you know, we are going to be pretty busy other than cranking out recaps, which thankfully are going to only include four teams now. Uh, which, you know, silver, silver linings, I guess, but kind of what are your early season plans in terms of kind of going out and who you want to, who are you wanting to look at? I mean, who else, right? It's, it's gotta be headlined by Michael Harris. I assume he's going to, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say, I assume he's going to be in Augusta to start off the season and he probably won't be there for too long. So I got to make sure, uh, there's also a chance that Bryce Ball starts there, although Mississippi probably makes a little more sense or that's also, uh, a completely uh, within reason for him. So I definitely want to hit up Augusta to start the season because there's going to be a lot of intriguing players there. And then in Rome itself is the whole wave of 2019 uh, high school draft picks. So you'll have Backstrom there. You'll have all the arms there and, like, Jared Johnson and all of those. So uh, Joey Estes, the, the, like, those two are probably where I'm going to be spending a vast majority of my early season months. Uh, Gwinnett? I feel pretty confident in what we have there, and I've seen those players, uh, you know, a comfortable amount of times. We've been able to see some good work at Atuki, uh this spring, uh, you know, so and Kyle Muller I've seen plenty of times. So I'm going to try and be focusing really on that third wave of players that are coming through, you know, probably 20, 
2024-2025 kind of ETA, uh, that's where I'll be focusing a majority of not only the beginning of the season, but most likely a majority of the season as well. Yeah, I tend to agree. It's going to be interesting that with Rome being the high A affiliate and then Augusta being low A now, because like I'm so accustomed to Rome being kind of like where like the the young kids like start off their full season ball careers. Like I might have to kind of like reprogram my expectations when I go there a little bit. Um, and it's going to be interesting where like a lot of those 2019 guys end up because you know with Michael Harris, he's impressed a lot of people and how much progress did he make in like the 2020 alternate site? Does that mean you put him at high A? Do you you know, put him at low A first and then just let him blast his way up. I mean, do you even be more aggressive than that? We've seen the Braves be very aggressive with minor league assignments in the past. So, you know, it kind of depends on where they feel like he's at. My my guess is that he ends up at Rome. Uh, I would not be shocked if, like, that 2019, like, the high schoolers particularly, like, are split somewhere between, like, between Augusta and Rome, just depending on kind of where where, where the Braves feel like the development is. Um I think there's going to be a certain amount of like body body maturity and things like that are going to matter in those in those considerations too. Uh, I'm with you. I'm going to be spending. I mean that that first um, that first couple weeks I'll probably be at Rome a good bit just because it's the closest to me. Um, I do want to make a trip to Augusta. It's a little bit further than, for me than you because I'm having to like drive basically all the way across uh, the state as opposed to you where you kind of have a little bit of a head start. Of me you know heading east anyway. Um, I know that Garrett's planning on hitting up Gwinnett. Uh, that's kind of like his backyard, so he's going to be hitting that up, and we're trying to get refreshers on a lot of the guys that we've gotten to see a lot over the years, but we also haven't seen them in a while, so I kind of want to get fresh looks at them. Uh, and I'm making a trip to Mississippi. I still got to figure out exactly when I'm doing that. Uh, make sure, like, you know, with protocols and all that stuff, I don't want to necessarily, you know, put anyone in a spot to, like, tell me that, you know, they either want, won't, or can't have, have me come and let me really get my hands dirty and really you know, scout guys and all that stuff. So I'm going to kind of just kind of give these minor league affiliates a little bit more time in terms of, you know, kind of getting all that sorted out. And before they're having to worry about people like me being like, so I'm coming on this weekend, make sure, you know, I have, you know, I have, I have a spot to, you know, watch guys and talk to people and all that stuff. So um, anyways, that's kind of our general plans. And, you know, it's been, it's been fun. I would, I'm going to go ahead and head off the question now. We're not going to have minor league rosters anytime soon. If you see minor league transactions that send one guy to a roster right now, those do not mean a thing. They do not. All they're doing is literally just making the a transaction to put the guys in minor league camp. It doesn't necessarily mean, like, if you see, like, Shea Langoliers being put on Gwinnett's roster or something like that, that does not mean he's starting the year at Gwinnett. It just means that they're trying to put him in minor league camp. They're not setting the roster yet. They won't set minor league rosters until, like, days before the season starts. So what happened last time we were actually had minor league rosters released was that they like I went to I think I went to Rome's preseason media workout and I was at the workout I was literally looking at the players that are practicing on the field and the official roster had not been released yet and there were minor changes from the guys that I saw versus there were changes from what I saw versus what ended up being on the official roster. Uh, and, you know, there's guys that are like, you know, they're not technically in the roster, but they're hanging around working out, you know, waiting for that kind of the official, you know, the official move to be made, et cetera, et cetera. Those things happen all the time. But so I will say that if you're asking about like where guys are ending up or why, why certain moves are happening, don't worry about that too much right now. Once we get kind of closer to the start and beginning of May, that's when you're going to kind of want to know, start wondering when minor league rosters are going to start kind of coming into play. Now, this episode is going to be a mailbag episode. I put out the call for questions 
a few days ago. Uh, kind of refreshed that call earlier today just to kind of make sure we had enough things to talk about. We got some really good questions tonight. Uh, and this is going to be kind of a loose just talk between Garav and I about, you know, a, a, a cornucopia of issues, uh, to, that to bring up. So the first one is a, is something that we get asked a lot about, uh, in particular because our good buddy Matt has very strong feelings on this particular prospect, or at least a couple, in fact, a couple of them from the same draft class. But this one in particular, this particular pick, um, and he's also a really interesting prospect because it's kind of hard to parse what exactly his place is, and there's there's some varying opinions on him. So, Grob, the first question is, is Braden Shoemake the starting shortstop for the Braves in 2023 or 2024? Uh, this is the, the ref, those dates are referencing Dansby Swanson's final arbitration year, which is in 2022. Do we think that he will be the heir to Dansby Swanson and Dansby moves on? You know, it's a interesting question and, um, you know, there's no real right way to answer this. Uh, I think if Dansby has another season like he did last season, uh, that's a four F4 player and, the Braves would be silly not to try and retain a 4F4 player, uh, short, uh, defense, not even, what am I saying? A 4F4 good defensive shortstop, uh, that's just something that they have to do that needs to be a priority. But again, it comes down to production. Uh, the rest of his career, he's never come, not never come close, but he hasn't eclipsed the two war plateau on, uh, on fan graphs. So that's, you know, that becomes easily replaced, not easily replaceable, but replaceable. Uh, Shoemake, you, you hear a lot about him in camp. You've heard a lot about him, a bunch of industry experts talking about him. He fits the billing physically. You see him in spring training. He's a big dude, uh, that still moves quite well at shortstop and they think he can stay there. Uh, but all things considered, he's played like 60 games in minor league baseball so far. He lost an entire year of development in 2020. Uh, it's aggressive, I would have to say, to think that in two years he can go from 60 games to being able to be a professional baseball player, despite the fact that he did play college. Uh, that that will lessen the timeline just a little bit, but I think it really just comes down to how Dansby performs this year. If it's Dansby from last year, I think the Braves are going to do everything they can to extend him because that's just an incredibly valuable player. If it's Dansby from 2019 or Dansby from 2018, you know if Shoemake is playing pretty well, I think the Braves might make that their best, or I think that might be the best route. You can save some money. You can go with someone that could probably play just as good defense there. And again, if Dansby is a sub 100 WRC plus player and Shoemake is ready, uh, it does make sense. But he would have to have, again, he would have to have some serious regression uh compared to last year, which I mean, we are talking about a 60-game sample, but he did perform pretty well in that in that 60 games. So again, uh, I, there's no right or wrong answer to this. Uh, for me, I think really it just depends on how Dansby starts, or not even starts, how he how Dansby performs this full this full season. And I think I, I'm pretty confident that's probably the decision making that the Braves are probably taking as well. Yeah, one thing I'll mention about Dan's before I get to Braden is that it's not just his performance, like when he is playing, it's also that he can stay on the field. Like he, this is a guy who has had some injury issues and had had some weird nagging injuries at times that he kind of was out longer than you would think that the nature of the injury would have been. 
And, you know, he's going to have to stay on the field because there's no questioning his defensive ability. And even if Braden hits his ceiling defensively as a shortstop, he will not be good as a defender as Dansby is right now. I think that most people would agree with that, right? And so you take that combined with the fact that he's Dansby's been a bit up and down offensively, that it's at least a situation worth monitoring. Because I don't think – I think of all the guys on the roster, like that left side of the infield is the one that's going to be – the trickiest in terms of, you know, like, are how, how secure are those roster spots? Austin Riley's going to have to produce there this year. He, he has, he has the job and he's going to have to produce there because, you know, Jake Lamb's hanging around. He hasn't looked very good this spring, but, you know, the, the Braves are at least entertaining the possibility that he might not be the answer there or that they're going to have to have a backup plan there. And in Dansby's case, maybe there's less of that, but he's also has a track record that is not nearly as how do I put it? Does not as build as much confidence as you would want from a guy who you're just like, it's a lock. You know, don't even worry about, you know, the guys below him. He's just going to be remaining your short, the shortstop position unless you can't re-sign him. Now, there's obviously monetary cons- considerations. If Dansby is really good over the next couple of years, then it comes down to do the Braves want to pay Dansby uh, a lot of money to, to kind of keep him, to kind of keep him around after arbitration, after his years of team control are over. But the one question I really have is whether or not Shoemake is actually an everyday shortstop. I think he can play the position when needed, but there were times where, you know, like sometimes the throws look, sometimes the throws and the movement looked good. And, you know, he like was getting everything behind his throws. Sometimes he was short, short arming some throws. And it wasn't like as a consistent sort of, I understood where the evaluations were when it comes to, when it came to, you know, you know, is he a tweener? Is he a second baseman? Is he a third baseman? You know, what position does he play in the infield? Because he can kind of play all of them, but he might not be able to play any other than second particularly well. Uh, I do like the, I I like the physical skill set. I like that he's put on some weight. I do disagree. I would not consider him a big guy. I would consider him a tall guy, but I don't think he's just a tall, skinny guy now. I think he's kind of filled out a little bit more. But he still he still yeah. moves around well. But you know, it the actions at short like sometimes he looks great. Sometimes it looks like the actions are long and like, you know, the, the, everything, it doesn't all work as well as you would hope. So I'm, again, I'm, I'm not sold that he is an everyday shortstop. I like the idea of him as like a utility guy that can hit, that you get a bunch of at bats to. Uh, this is like something that we've alluded to in the past. Uh, and then I've talked about in the Talking Shop podcast is like having a guy that you can plug in and like give guys days off and play matchups. Um, play matchups consistently, you know, you know, left, right, and all that other good stuff is very valuable. Like, I truly think that like having a guy like that on your roster and is kind of what the Dodgers do. It's what the Cubs did when they were still playing well. You know, it's yeah, having those guys that you can rotate in and out of roster of lineup spots and play matchups. That's a guy that's really valuable for your team, and I think Braden could excel in that role. Now, for those who think he's an everyday shortstop, I understand why they value him on their prospect rankings maybe more than we do. Um, and I could see Br- – I mean, it's not, it's not like a 0% outcome for me that he ends up being kind of an everyday shortstop guy. But I need to see him hit. I need to see him hit for for power. I want to see some more – I want to kind of see more of how, how his swing plays against more advanced pitching and you know whether or not he actually does damage. Those are things that I kind of look for. But I'm not sold necessarily that he ends up being a shortstop every day. And if that's the case, then, you know, 
you probably need to think more about keeping Dansby Swanson around. Um, and again, that's ultimately on the performance of these two guys. It, it's not just on Dansby. You know, if he doesn't do well, then Braden's going to take his job. I mean, Braden, I think, is going to have to earn that chance. And I don't know if he's necessarily convinced me that he's, you know, a guy that is on that trajectory quite yet. It's, it, but he's pretty close. I will, for that, I'll, I'll, I'll concede that. So the next question is, do the Braves feel confident enough in their minor league bullpen talent to mitigate not signing a free agent? Or is it likely that they'll do that soon? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and combine that with the next question, which is also about the bullpen, which is do you think the bullpen in arms in the minors are enough for the makeup for the offseason losses there? So, Gaurav, just generally speaking, how do you feel about the bullpen options that are currently in the minor leagues that could see time this year? And do you think that that is going to be enough to fill the voids that the, the Braves lost in free agency? Yeah, so the the Braves definitely lost some big names. You know, Shane Green, Melanson, all those. Uh they retained quite a few of the heavy hitters and Will Smith and Chris Martin and, and those kinds. And then they bring, uh, they brought to, uh, spring training the likes of Carl Edwards Jr., Victor Arano, Nate Jones. You still have De La Cruz, Jacob Webb. Uh, people are still high or not people. Like I'm still confident and I, I, you know, you want to see Weigel, uh, get that opportunity as well. You got, you know, uh, you have Chad Sabatka that, somehow survives every single season and uh is around and ends up making some appearances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then you have Daisbel Hernandez. So they the Braves have a wealth of bullpen arms that they can bring on bring on to the major league team uh at a moment's notice. But that being said, you're talking about a bullpen in a major league team and I, I can't think of a single team that isn't going to make some kind of a reliever signing or some kind of trade or some kind of free agent signing, no matter what, just to shore up their bullpen. Even though we have this massive amount of wealth, I do expect the Braves to somehow make another signing. Uh, will it be, you know, a marquee? No, probably not, but I totally see them. I, there, there's, there's no such thing as too much competition when it comes to bullpen arms because of how erratic these, these arms are. You know, you can have a dynamite season. Just, just look at Mauricio Cabrera. He was great that one year, even though we all knew it was playing with fire. And, it was, and then it was out of baseball six months later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, ju- you just don't know how long these players can last. And so despite this, you know, I really, really liked Victor Arano. I think if he's fully healthy, that is a massive addition to this bullpen, and that's a huge strikeout arm. Uh, but is he healthy? Can he withstand a full season? No, no one knows. And so, yeah, we have this like massive collection of players, but I still, I don't, I, I just, I can't confidently say I don't expect the Braves to sign anyone. I 100% them expect them to sign one or maybe two players throughout either before the season or throughout the season itself. Yeah, so I think I'm kind of in the camp that the Braves have decided that the core that they have their core bullpen, of which is still very good, by the way. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. The core of this bullpen it is, is, very, is very good. Now, the problem that people are having is that they got very spoiled by what was an extraordinarily good bullpen last year, and really the only reason that they were able to win the division last year. With the rotation getting banged up, it was literally every night – the, the starter was chased in the third or the fourth inning, and the bullpen would just have to stitch it together, and they just did it every single night. And if it was a full-length season last year, that wouldn't have happened because these guys would have been half dead come, like, August. And, you know, the, fortunately with a 60-game season, they were able to, you know, really run those guys more out there, and they didn't, you know, it wasn't quite as much wear and tear on those arms. But 
I am of the opinion that they're going to go with the internal options that they've already brought in. They brought in a lot of in, of kind of minor, minor league contract type guys. Carl Edwards Jr. It's a guy that's looked particularly good. Um, Arano, I'm you know I, I think he's already been I think he's already been sent down to Gwinnett. Uh, maybe he just needs some more time just to kind of you know get get right and get healthy and get knock all the rust off. I think that's right. I can't remember for sure. He got sent to minor league camp. I, I'm pretty sure that's correct. Uh, and you know guys like you know this I got the guys like Nate Jones and there's you know, Luke Jackson's still around. I guess Chad, so Chad Sabatka's still around. Um, one guy that I think we forget about is, you know, it, as long as they don't start sending, they, they will stop sending him out for like more than two innings is Tuki Toussaint. He's looked really good as a reliever. Like really those good. Those last two outings, those last yeah, two outings have been like perfection. And, well, and again, it's like when you send him out there for that third inning, just stop doing that. Like it's just not working. You know, I mean, I get that you want to kind of see how much, how long he can go. And kind of maybe keep him testing that limit, but like if you put him in there for one or two innings, he can just throw absolute gas. You know, he can spin that curveball. You know, he can chuck that splitter, and he's going to get outs. And the Braves need big time stuff from the right side, and that's what he has. Uh, and so, in terms of, do I think it's going to make up completely for what they lost? I mean, I think so. I think so. I don't think it'd be quite as good. Um, I, I think it'd be hard for the bullpen to be as good. Like Mark Melanson was playing with a little bit with fire anyway. Uh, there was a certain amount of luck that was involved with like the entirety of the bullpen. Like they, they, they shouldn't have been as good as they were for as long as they were. Uh, and I think some of that would have evened out over the course of the season anyway. So they're kind of already playing a little bit above their heads and they were very good. So you lose a guy like Melanson who again didn't, was, was not missing a lot of bats, but got the ground balls he needed when he needed them. And then you have, Shane Green, who seemed to kind of fall out of favor with the Braves during the course of the season, but then they kind of went back to him in the postseason, uh, and he he seemed to show show back up there. Those are guys that are going to be hard to replace, but their overall production isn't so much that I think it's going to be a vast difference. If that makes any sense, uh, it might. There, I, I do think it's going to happen. There's going to be some growing pains in picking the guys that, of which they have the available. Like of the guys they have available, picking the right ones that are going to fill those spots. But I don't think it's going to be a crazy. I don't think it's going to be crazy to think that you know, like instead of Shane Green and Mark Melanson, who were kind of your high leverage guys, you bump up guys like Chris Martin, AJ Minter, Will Smith, who I think is going to be better this year, by the way, uh, Will Smith. Um, and then you have guys like you know Carl Edwards Jr. Maybe it's Tukey. Uh, maybe it's one of the other young guys. And that seems good enough. It doesn't. I don't think it's as good as it was last year, but that doesn't have to be, uh, because I think that the Braves are actually going to have a rotation this year as opposed to last year when they were basically every game was a bullpen game. That's just kind of how I think about it. So uh, next question uh, is who of Swanson, Soroka, Freed, or Pache is the most likely to sign a contract extension first? All right, you're up. Yeah, I, for me, it's pretty easy and that's gotta be Max Freed. Uh, you know, the past two years, he's, he's 24 and six. Uh, he's just, he's proven to be a winner. He's gotten better every single year. Uh, he's starting to get healthy and stay healthy. Uh, hopefully he can completely avoid these blister issues that seem to plague him earlier in his career. They've, they've certainly gone down and it, it's shown and he's been able to pitch at a pretty high level. Um, you know, it, it, for, it, originally I would say last year at the beginning it'd be a toss-up between Freed and Soroka, but with Soroka coming having to come back from injury now, um, I think he's 
I think they, the Braves can maybe last, you know, another year before having to re-sign him, but he's surely, I mean, it's not going to be long, don't don't get me wrong. Um, and as for the other ones, you know, Pache, I, I don't see any reason to uh, lock him up anytime soon. You know, let him, you got him to under team control for so much longer. You got to see how he develops as a, as a player as well and see if his bat develops. And then Swanson, I think, you know, you have this full, full season to see exactly where he is as a player and then the Braves can judge that. Uh, but I, I, for me, I would be trying to sign Max Reed throughout the season to an extension, get this man locked up and have him take over, you know, that number two, number three starter spot for six, four, uh, four to six years. So this is a tough question for me because on the one hand, you know, like in terms of ability and kind of how badly I want to keep him around, Mike Soroka and Max Freed are two guys that fit the bill for me. But those are also two guys that have injury issues in their past. And typically, we don't see contracts for guys who are under team control. Contract extensions happen for pitchers. Uh, that's not just the Braves. That's pretty much everywhere. Uh, there's, you know, I'm sure you can find exceptions to that. That's not what I'm trying to get at is that generally speaking, those are given to position players. Now, if I'm eliminating those two guys, not look, if everyone knows me who listens to this podcast, and it was my decision. Mike Soroka would have a lifetime contract with the Braves, but I'm not making those decisions. And objectively, I think it's just less likely that it's going to be a pitcher. So between Swanson and Pache, it becomes interesting because if Dansby was going to be willing to sign a contract extension and there was kind of a, a, a mutual understanding between the Braves and Dansby as to what his value is, I think we would already seen that extension. I honestly do, and if that's the case, then maybe that they're. I mean, the, the, yeah, we already you know, like them have to go to. They went to yeah. trial already, right? Like, there's already yeah. like a description or the discrepancy. Yeah, and I, I and that, that's not necessarily something that's completely insurmountable, right? Like, if Dansby's really good, like having a really good shortstop, young shortstop locked up, is something that would benefit the Braves and would benefit Dansby. So they may they might be able to come together on that, but I don't think they're there right now. Which means leans Christian Pache, which is a weird case because you think that the guy who has barely any service time used up whatsoever has the youngest, could be leaving a lot of money on the table, not unlike, you know, Ronald Cunha Jr. and or Ozzie Albies. However, you're also talking to a guy who is really close to Ozzie Albies and Ronald Cunha Jr. who are going to be with the Braves for a long time. And if he has a good year this year, the Braves want to kind of, you know, keep, keep their costs controlled and keep this young group together. And he wants to be a part of that young group. He might be the one that makes the most sense. Now, again, it kind of a lot of hap- what happens this season kind of determines a lot of this stuff, but I would not be shocked if Pache was the guy because both Ozzy and Acuna were signed those deals. And while those deals, particularly Ozzy's were maligned at the time, for being too team friendly, you know, Ozzy and Acuna seem to really enjoy playing together. This group of young players seems to really like playing together. We haven't seen Freddie's contract extension yet, which is getting more and more interesting by the day. But these are everyone knows that this is a group of guys who could be competitive for a really long time. And maybe Pache would get in a little bit of like guaranteed money in his pocket. That way he can kind of go into like the latter parts of his team control years not in the worry about arbitration or potentially not having that guaranteed income, maybe he decides to sign that contract. I don't know what that contract looks like, 
because I don't think it would happen for a, a while this year. But I, he might be the guy that's most likely, and that's weird to me. It really is. Uh, one last question we go before we go to break, Rav. We get this kind of question a lot, and it's kind of it's not really fair to either of these guys considering what we had to deal with last year. But if you're having to choose between Drew Waters and Michael Harris, who is going to make it, and who's going to be traded away? I, I've got this question a few times uh, already, and it's it's like I know I talk about Michael Harris a ton, and it's well deserved, and we all do it a ton. But they're just at two completely different stages of their career, right? Like Harris, or not Harris, Drew Waters is already playing in AAA despite being such a young age. And Harris is still super young. He hasn't been above A ball. Like that being said, you know, it really depends on the, on how the Braves play. If they feel like there is a glaring hole, if they feel like they're, they are one piece away from competing for a World Series based on simple roster construction and the fact that all three outfield spots are taken and there's no DH, you know, maybe you, you trade away a Drew Waters. Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Harris still needs, you know, two, three more years before he'll be ready. He's still only 19 years old and the Braves are not going to rush him. He's going to be faster than most likely any, like, a majority of the prospects in the organization in terms of his rise. Like, I, he's more advanced than a lot of the hitters already, which is ridiculous to even think about. Um, if I had to choose, if I had to choose which one I liked more, it's not going to be uh, a question I want to answer. They're both highly, supremely gifted. They're both five-tool players, Drew Waters uh, can play center field Michael, you know, we're not 100% sure of so maybe Drew has a little more value there, I don't know, but then Michael's I, I think personally going to strike out less so then you take that trade off and I'd probably take the the slightly lower K percentage uh, in Michael, especially since Pache is in, in center you know, it's it's a tough question to, ans- to answer really um, if I'll, I'll just go ahead and say, if the Braves are one player away from a World Series, then yes, I'm, I think it's going to be Drew Waters that leaves, and then Michael Harris will be the presumed uh, outfielder of choice with Ozuna moving to DH, uh, not next year, but the year after. Yeah, so that that move that's going to be happening where we presume that the DH is going to be happening kind of changes this timeline a little bit. Uh, and the point that you made was a good one, is that they're not at the same stage of their development. And I think that there's been a certain amount of combination of, like, prospect fatigue with Drew Waters. Like, I think that people are under the impression that Drew has not been good. Like, that we're kind of waiting for him to be good. And that isn't fair, because he's been very good at every stop, other than a very small sample size, like, to end a season at AAA. And that's just the truth. Now, at AAA, he did strike out too much, and he didn't look particularly great. But he also hit the crap out of some balls, and I think that people kind of forget that he does that is that he has, like, power and speed and can defend and is a switch hitter, uh, and is a switch hitter that was still learning kind of to hit from both sides of the plate as a high school draftee, and he had a whole year to kind of work on it. So, you know, now the thing that I worry about a little bit with Drew right now is that he's got that oblique issue, uh, which is why he hasn't taken many cuts in spring training. Now, does that mean that he kind of gets off to a slow start this year because he's banged up? And that would stink. Drew's going to get his chance first. Let's just be clear about that because Michael Harris could hit the crap out of the ball. And I still don't think that he would be in terms of like getting a shot at an outfield spot 
if and when it were to come come up, like for an extended period of time, like it's still going to be Drew. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it would take a it would take a, a confluence of events that I find to be very unlikely for Michael Harris to get his shot in the major leagues before Drew Waters does. Like Drew has put in the performances at basically every level to earn that chance. Now it would I could see a weird scenario where the Braves only need you know, a, a guy to start for maybe a couple weeks and then maybe you keep him around for a bad bench bat. And then maybe oddly enough, I could see something like Trey, someone like Trey Harris playing, playing that role a little bit different. Like I can imagine like Trey Harris being like this amazing, like outfield bat that you have on your bench. Uh, like I could, I could see that happening before, you know, either of those two guys getting a shot, shot in a short term stint, but I don't think it's fair to suggest that like either of those guys are just like a lot to be get traded away because we haven't seen them for a year. And they're at different stages. Drew's going to get his spot shot first, but in a world where there is a trade, I guarantee, like the team that is asking for Michael Harris is valuing him less than Drew Waters, right? Like they're going to be like, you know, the total package, they're going to be like, you know, we'll take Michael Harris and these two players, you know, or we'll take Drew Waters and this one player. And it's because Drew is closer to the major leagues. He just is. And the, that, is a important part in thinking about trade dynamics is that it's not as simple as just, you know, like which one is do the Braves like the least. It's not just that it's the value that they're getting for them in a trade. If a guy really, someone really likes waters or really likes Michael Harris, you know, maybe you get a better value in the return in a trade than you would for the other. Right. And you know, do those match up with your internal evaluations, et cetera, et cetera. It's not as simple as which one do the Braves, which ones are the Braves going to get the shot to and give the job to for the next decade versus the team that they're they're just going to try to give them away because they have quote unquote like already lost out to the other. I don't think that's necessarily fair. Uh, a lot of these are value considerations, and you know those are important ones. All right, we got a few more questions to go, but before we go to them, we're going to take a short break to listen to a word from our sponsors. All right, Grav, we are back, and we're here to talk a little bit about a prospect who has been on our rankings for a surprisingly long period of time. Um, and I have kind of, I'm kind of a guy that I'm almost all the way off on at this point. So uh, I want to kind of see what you're thinking of, and it's uh, Freddie Tarnock. Uh, one of the questions we got was there have been many, so many reviews of Freddie Tarnock, everything from fringe player to late inning reliever to number two, number three starter. What are you guys seeing? I'm going to throw it to you, and then I'll kind of share my thoughts on Rough Freddy. I, I can answer this question, and you're not going to like this answer at all, and it's I don't know. Uh, he has been in one location where we have access to watching him, and that was Rome in 2018. Since then, he's either been in Florida or he's been in rookie ball, or there was a pandemic. Like, there – I, none of us have been able to see him. I have absolutely no idea. I have even I haven't really heard much about him as a prospect uh, as well. Uh, troubling, not troubling, but you know when he was in uh, high A, he did have regress with his strikeout rate, and it was sub eight per nine, and that's you know not great for a starting pitching prospect there uh, with an almost five ERA. So like. Honestly, I don't know. I, I want to be able to watch him, but we really just haven't been given the opportunity unless we go to these locations. And if you, 
in the past, if we would have went to Florida like we tried to, there was no way we could have watched them anyways because it rains 99% of the time. So Can't confirm, yes, can't confirm. I, I want to be able to answer this question, but I don't know. I haven't been able to watch him at all since he up until, you know, the Rome time where he went from a starter, then he, or he, I can't remember, I can't remember which route it was, but it was like, I think he started as a relief pitcher, then they have him starting for a couple, and then he went back to a reliever or something like that. Something but, but to to really just answer the question, it's like I, I simply don't know because none of us have been able to see him for a long time. Yeah, so it's a weird situation too because he was always known as a raw prospect. And, <laughs> I mean, he's only 21, right? Like, I'm sorry, he's only 20. Is that right? Or is he 21? He has to be 21. Um, he's 22, actually. He's 22. Is he? Okay. Yeah. He's still yeah, but, he's very he, he's very young. He's also he's rule my, five eligible this year. So he really god that feel old. Yeah. Um, okay. So when he was picked in that draft, you know, he was kind of like this really intriguing raw arm. And when we saw him as in a relief role, I really liked how that stuff played up. The fastball was really alive. The breaking ball was like you know like like a wipeout type of situation where I'm like good luck hitting that. Uh, but as a starter, he just felt like he couldn't consistently throw strikes. And now we see that I don't think it's – I think it's likely that he'll play in Rome. He'll play high A again. Uh, I mean, you see a guy who was in a pitcher-friendly league and he had an ERA close to five and wasn't particularly healthy that season. And he doesn't have a season that you can point to and go, wow, he really kind of impressed me with, you know, how he blew guys away. I mean, he's not even striking out a batter per inning. You know, and if that's the case and you're also walking as many guys as he is, I think that points to the fact that he's most likely a reliever. I think that if you let his stuff play up, that is the most likely scenario. I think I've already downgraded him uh, on kind of my general thinking, and I keep an open mind on these things. If he ends up like at Double A Mississippi and he like has like a 2.5 ERA midseason, then if yeah, my my feelings are going to change on him quite a bit. Uh, he's a guy that I could change my mind a lot one way or the other. But I think that the the days of him being a probable uh, a possible number two or number three starter or behind him. Um, I think that the if he's going to be a starter, it's like a number four or number five type. Um, that every once in a while throws an amazing game because he has the kind of the stuff to do that. Uh, but I think that the most likely path for him is a reliever, is the short answer to the question. Uh, do I know for sure? No, I don't. Not at all. Um, and I think that a guy with like his physical build, uh, with that amount of being raw and you know potential in him, you know, maybe that, maybe getting another year of coaching, maybe getting another year of strength and understanding what his, his repertoire is and getting his command under control. Maybe it's something that he figured out during that period of time. And I'll be thrilled if that happens because I really like Freddie and I really want him to do well. But for the moment, I'm guessing reliever. That's kind of where my head is. It's kind of where he ends up. Uh, next question is, who are we sleeping on that will have an impact on the big league team this year? Gruff? I mean, the, the only two players that I could I mean, I couldn't even say sleeping on, but the only two players I could foresee making an impact bigger than what we originally might have thought would be, one, William Contreras, and the only reason I really bring him up, I, I wrote the article about him saying I think he should stay in AAA this year just because he has no experience there, but with the AAA season starting late, you know, maybe he gets that time and Alex Jackson sits on the uh, at the alternate site and gets some work in, and then it's just William and, and Travis Darno, or if Darno gets hurt. Uh, 
then you can see Contreras uh, leapfrogging Jackson because it's it's becoming certainly clear that Alex Jackson just cannot hit major league pitching. Um, so there's he, that. He couldn't really hit minor league pitching if we're being yeah. honest about it. Yeah, that's that's very very true. Uh, and then the only other person I can really think of would be Kyle Muller. Um, he would be interesting in a relief. I mean, there's no real again like the the amount of depth that the Braves have. Uh, certainly, he'd have to leapfrog a few to to join the rotation ranks. But maybe you know a late September call up power arm. You know, this six, seven, almost 300 pound massive man of like 1% body fat throwing 97 from the left hand side of the plate. Yeah, that's intimidating as hell. Um, so like, there's, those are really the only two that we, I could say that might surprise having an impact. Everyone else, you know, you, you've seen Tucson, you know, all of those, like everyone sees them. They know what they're capable of, but they haven't hit their potential. Um, so those are really the two and really the only reason that they would get major play is because of injury. So there, I, I know that's not the answer that this person was really particularly looking for, but the, the, the roster is set. This team is legitimately good. Uh, and it's just really hard for those kinds of players to make massive impacts. Now we're talking next year. Yeah. I, I think, I think William Contreras is battling. Darno for that starting spot, uh, hands down. And I think there's a legitimate opportunity that he becomes the starting catcher for next year. But we're talking about this year and after Darno's season in 2020, like you gotta, you gotta hope he stays healthy because the man can hit. So as long as Darno is healthy, if the arms, if there aren't like a, just a sudden massive drop off in like five or six different arms, then Muller's going to be staying in AAA the full season. But if those were those two scenarios play, those are the only two players I can really think about that would be what we would consider sleeping on another player. And everyone else, I, th- I feel like that would be playing in Atlanta. We've pretty talked about exhaustively. Yeah, I mean, the guys like Jesse De La Cruz, Tucker Davidson, um, those are kind of those other starters that amongst those who are still what we consider prospects are like guys that could be in play if, you know, a starter gets hurt or a starter or two gets hurt, or in the case of last year, all of the starters get hurt or opt out. Um, those are the kind of guys that I'd be kind of looking at and going, maybe they end up being something. Uh, and I like JCL De La Cruz a lot. I'm a little bit, maybe I'm a little bit less on Tucker Davidson at this moment in time. But, you know, I wouldn't say it by its, some, by its like a crazy amount or anything like that. Uh, and the kind of, the, the quality of the fastball that comes out of Tucker, I like a lot. What I like about a Kyle Muller pick here is that, you know, he has the frame pitching from the left side, has been in the league for a while, has been in the minors for a while, is on the 40-man roster, which is an important consideration here. Uh, so, you know, the guys that like, we could see, foresee, like, you know, further down, like, you know, like, everyone's like, what happens if Freddie gets hurt? Is Bryce Ball going to get the call? I'm skeptical that that would happen, but, like, I could see, like, a weird confluence of events happening that maybe that could happen if, like, you know, he's, like, hitting, like, homers every other game down there and Freddie's out for, like, three months. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he's the guy that you bring up. Uh, but let's hope that doesn't happen because Freddie Freeman's one of the best hitters in baseball. Uh, that would, that, 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 if I gave that answer, it means I think something bad's going to happen to Freddie. 
right? And it's the same thing with the outfielders. Like, you know, like Frey Harris, I could see playing a role on a team where an outfielder gets hurt. But that also means that one of the Braves outfielders got hurt, and those are three of your better hitters. Well, two of your better hitters on the team, and then, like, your shining rookie star and center fielder in Christian, pa- Christian Pache, assuming the Braves don't make what I would consider to be a horrific mistake in starting Ender Inciarte in center fielder on opening day. I sincerely hope that doesn't happen. Um, I don't think it will either, but, you know, you have to kind of think, you have to think about those things. But Muller at, at a position that has some volatility with, you know, you never, I mean, if does Soroka get hurt again with something? Does Freed get hurt again? You know, we have a couple, you know, Charlie Morton's kind of getting up in age. Does he have to miss some time? Uh, Drew Smiley's not exactly has a track record of like staying particularly healthy. Guys like that. I'm going to say that if you're wanting to sleep on somebody, the one guy that we don't hear a lot about these days is Kyle Muller. And it's because there's guys like Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright that are, might get these opportunities, but assuming that those guys either get roles and entrench themselves or fall off, then a guy like Muller who has a lot of upside and who could do a lot of damage kind of unexpectedly kind of fits that mold. Uh, next question. Uh, who is the fastest prospect in the organization? And while it may be far off with Ozuna like locked in DH starting next year and Freddie at first base until he retires, where does Bryce Ball fit in? Uh, well, Bryce Ball is not the fastest player in the organization. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that now. Uh, but, uh, Grav, I'll go to you first with those two. Man, what was that spring training game where I was afraid that, like, Bryce Ball would get, like, thrown out at third on a, like, a grounder to left field? Man's not fast at all. Um, fastest player is got- did you Sorry. see that Ron, uh, before, before we answer the question, did you see that Ron Washington, uh, waved Pablo Sandoval in to running, <laughs> scoring from first? Of course he did. He yeah. probably he just said, wants he, to he said, to he sent him and Sandoval was out by, uh, like, a base. <laughs> <laughs> he probably wanted to get some conditioning in or something like that. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's, a, that's, a, that, that's a bet or something. That's like, you know, like, uh, <laughs> that had to be what happened there. Alright, sorry, uh, go ahead. No, no, fastest player has got to be Pache. That's 70 grade speed. Uh, he's, he's a monster. He's, he's a freakish athlete. He's insanely gifted, uh, athletically and he takes care of himself. It's Pache. Um, DH locked in, Bryce Ball, you know, I get the, I get the glamour and I get the, why everyone's talking about Ball. Massive, massive man. Of course, you immediately think of someone like Aaron Judge, but he's not nearly as athletic. But the man hits the ball, and the man hits the ball really, really hard. 177 WRC plus uh, in rookie ball, then 163 at Rome. But one thing I want everyone to remember is he's 22 years old, and he still only played 21 games at Rome. So uh, for me, I, I don't think he's anywhere close. I mean, he's probably the Braves' best first-base prospect. So like you said, Eric, if there's some kind of freakish thing – and you need a prolonged amount of time, maybe just because Ball is, you know, has experience in college. But like, I still don't, for me personally, I, I think he's still got probably about two years of playing in the minors before we can really talk about him, uh, on a major league roster. And then by then it's, it's so hard to project what these rosters look like two years out in advance. There's trades, there's injuries, there's so many, there's contract, there's so many different things that can happen. Um, so it's, it's really, really difficult. I can't, I just, I don't see a, I don't foresee a future where Bryce Ball is playing in Atlanta in 2021, 2022, maybe we're talking 2023 when he's had two entirely full seasons 
against upper echelon minor league pitching. Um, so yeah, I, again, I feel like I'm letting down our listeners a whole lot because I want to be be able to say Bryce Ball. I expect him to be our DH in 2020. No, I I, I just don't. And I think he's still. I think people need to like slow down just a little bit on him because he just doesn't have as much experience as you want in someone that everyone's talking about so much. And I mean, I could be a hundred percent wrong and who knows? I mean, the dude has hit every single year, every single place he's played, including in college. And yeah, it was a much smaller school, but you can't fault that. You know, he still put up the numbers he needed to do. He needed to put up. So all in all, I mean, it's just, it's really tough to say because I don't see, again, the next two years, I, I, I don't see a spot for him in Atlanta, and it's just too tough to project what this roster is going to look at look like in 2024. So, <laughs> this is a funny question, right? Because I really do love Bryce Paul. I've written, I wrote him about him when they first, you know, when he first started playing pro ball. Uh, talked about how much I liked him, and he could be, and talked about how he could be the next big power prospect for the Braves. Uh, I still think that that could be true. Um, I also really like that he has feel for hitting. His approach at the plate is good. Uh, it doesn't, his actions don't look like they're those of a big guy, if that makes any sense. Now, when he gets full extension and makes contact, it becomes abundantly clear that you're talking about a man mountain that just hit a baseball. But he has good feel for hitting. Like, he looks like a baseball player. He doesn't look like a big giant guy that just learned how to hit homers. And that is appealing. And I think that if he hits, for you know, if if he if he continues matching during the in the minor leagues, the Braves are going to find a spot for him. Uh, like it's just that I mean if that means I need to run him out in the outfield or you know whatever, uh, you know, okay, hey Bryce, go play, go learn third base, whatever. You know, like if you hit, a team will find a spot for you, uh, and that's ultimately what he has to do. Uh, and you know, as a college guy, he's going to have to really kind of do so. He he doesn't have all the time in the world just to kind of dilly dally in the minor leagues to figure those things out. But, you know, in terms of what his ultimate role is, we don't really know yet. We don't. We, you know, until there's a Freddie Freeman contract extension, we don't know for sure that's going to happen. Um, you, you wonder, you know, is there going to be, do all these other outfielders or does Austin Riley work out? Does what's going to be happening with the DH, et cetera, et cetera. You, you, you wonder about those things. You wonder kind of how those things are going to play out and we have to let them play out before we kind of making those roster decisions. But it's on Bryce to make the Braves job hard. And that all he has to do in that situation is just hit the crap out of the ball. Because if he makes their job hard, it means that they've got a hell of a player on their hands and they want that bat in their lineup. Now, in terms of the fastest prospect in the organization, I think that the if we're like if we're talking about like foot race, I think it's Pache. I cuz I think he is the fastest. He's got those he's got those long legs and when he gets when he gets underway, he is incredibly incredibly fast and he's put up some really impressive run times. However, before anyone t- says, I know that Terrence Gore is going to be on a minor league contract, and some smart ass out there is going to say that he's a prospect, he's, he is 29 years old. He is not a prospect. He is literally a pinch runner that they're stashing at AAA. That is what his job is. You know, when you need a guy who, like, if you need a guy that is, you need to be able to steal bases in, like, late in games, then that's the guy that you have, on, that's the guy that you keep around. Because he has shown no ability to get on base enough to do anything else other than that job. Yes, he is incredibly fast. No, he is not a prospect. So, 
let's go ahead and just like head off those those tweets at us like you forgot about Terrence Score type thing. I will say though that Justin Dean is right there with Pache. Justin Dean is very very fast, and if you look at Dust Justin. It's not like readily apparent that he's as fast as he is. He, he's actually kind of like, he's like a really built guy, squat build, a uh, little bit on the shorter side. Doesn't look like a guy who could absolutely fly, but holy crap, can he fly? And in terms of playing on the bases, I think that Justin Dean's speed, particularly with stolen bases, plays more than Pache's does. Although like, you know, those, you know, second to home type situations, they're probably pretty close. But I don't want to. I don't want to discount Justin Dean in this scenario because, in terms of like pure speed, I mean, Bra- I mean, Brayden Shoemaker's not that slow either. But we're not. But we're not in the same category of speed and player when we're talking about Christian Pache and Justin Dean. I think those are like the only two guys that are in the discussion. Again, other than the folks who are going to have strong feelings on you know Ter- Terrence Gore. Uh, Michael Harris is also quite speedy, but again, I don't think he's quite as fast as uh, Dean or P- Pache. Um, okay. So the last question, predictably, uh, on this Michael Harris podcast is about Michael Harris. Uh, and, uh, and that is, if we're being completely honest with ourselves as Braves fans, what is the floor and ceiling for Michael Harris? And what are your concerns with it? Garav, you have the floor if you talk about, yep. Let's, Let's do this. Let's do this. All right. Ceiling. Uh, a legitimate five tool freak baseball player that hits for power for average steals 20 to 25 bases a year uh your number three hitter someone that you count on in the clutch every single time uh that's his ceiling he couldn't be an all-star he could be a generational type of player his his mental makeup is something I haven't seen in many prospects and his ability to adjust in the middle of an at-bat is something that personally I've only seen. And please, if if you're listening to this, don't think I'm saying he's Ronald Acuna, here, but his ability, here comes. Here comes. his ability to adjust in the middle of an at-bat rivals Ronald Acuna. That is the ceiling. The floor, everything could fall apart and he doesn't make the big league team at all. You know, he's 19 years old. He's got, like, something like 40 games in professional baseball. Like, he still needs a solid amount of time to develop. But what you see are these loud tools that translate extremely well on the major league level, and that's why we're so hyped up about him. Again, it comes down to that work ethic. It comes down to his family, like, just strong, strong family pushing him. He's got strong mental makeup. Like, you see, he's got all the keys you want to succeed, but, like, baseball is such a hard sport to play. And to assume someone's going to be a major league player in itself, let alone a star, is just, like, it's it's hard. It's really difficult. It's extremely difficult to do. And so, like, yeah, the stealing very well, or the floor very well could be, he just never blossoms as a player, and he's someone that has really, really loud tools. Someone like an Izzy Wilson, who every single year, it's like, it's gonna be, it's gonna be Izzy's year. He's got all the tools that he could possibly want, and then he puts in like a 70 WRC plus season, and you're like, oh, okay. No, he's still who we thought he is. Um, not that I think Michael and Izzy are even remotely similar, because I don't think they yeah, are was, whatsoever. Was <laughs> yeah, yeah. If for no other reason that everyone hated Izzy, <laughs> versus, <laughs> versus no one hates Michael. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're they're pretty much polar opposites, 
but what they have in common are these very, very loud tools. Uh, so like, yeah, there, there's the really hard, most likely what he's going to be is going to slide in somewhere on the middle ground. That's just how, you know, the law of averages really work. So, again, the tools are there. He could be an impact special generational type player. Uh, will it happen? You know, that's up to development. That's up to his coaches. That's up to him personally. And that's something that, you know, we've been talking about it a whole lot. And it's something we all agree that he has the best opportunity uh, to reach those goals. Um, concerns with him? <laughs> no. <laughs> as weird as it is, like, again, we also haven't watched him enough, so I can't be like, okay, here's one here's one flaw I see. Right now, we're seeing him every, like, five or six games. He'll have one at bat, and then he'll hit that ball, like, 390 yards the opposite way, so how am I going to find a flaw in him? Like, no, there's just no way. Uh, so that's all. Like, I'm sure there's going to be things he's going to work on throughout the season. Again, he switched, he stopped switch hitting, and now he's mainly, I think, a uh, left-handed hitter now. Um, so can he comfortably hit left-handed pitching or advanced left-handed pitching? Like, I don't know. We no one knows. He, he just hasn't played that much. So there are lots of things to still be patient on him with. Like we talk about him a lot just because of those things I've previously mentioned loud tools he can be special he's got the tools to do it but we have to remember he is 19 years old he is very very he's just removed from playing high school baseball and we gotta and maybe that's on me for talking about how excited are just like being excited about talking with him because i do see that potential maybe that's on me for trying to rein it in and, and set those expectations a little lower like if if he's able to make some kind of meteoric rise and he's in the big league team next year, then I'm fine with saying with, with eating quote unquote crow, because it's not even like eating crow. If you ask me if you tell me a 20, a 20 year old made a major league baseball team and I'm not going to say sorry for being wrong. Like, no, that's just, everything is going against you. Um, so, I mean, yeah, if I'm, if I'm being completely honest, those, that's his ceiling, and his floor, again, he still needs time to develop. His floor could be just, like, a player that doesn't realize that potential. And unlikely as that is, and as unlikely as I hope it is, it's still a very, very real scenario because, I need to say this one more time, he's 19. What, I mean, I'm trying to remember what, I, in night, at 19, I was trying to sneak alcohol onto my campus. Like, no. Like, it, <laughs> there's no try, gotta, there's only do. Yeah, <laughs> like that—that's just that's how it is, and I—it's—I it's, wish I could say I had a concern. I—I I w- I really wish I could, but again, it just comes down to not being able to see him enough. I'm sure we'll be able to find something that he needs to work on. I'm sure he has already found something he needs to work on, and he's working on it with the coaches as we speak right now, because that's the type of player he is. And I—I I just if. If I had, again, I think this goes back to our last episode, if I had to hedge my bets onto one player right now I that would blossom into a star in the minor leagues, I would put it on Michael Harris. So I'm going to go ahead and just say this, and this regards the entire Braves farm system. Take a look at the top 30 prospects in the Braves system. Their floor is that this is their last season in professional baseball. All of them is absolutely true. That could happen. Christian Pache could literally not hit a lick and could, you know, 
develop the yips in the outfield. And just like that, he is not a professional baseball player anymore. Ian Anderson, same thing. You know, all of these guys that we talk about, there is a chance, some less than others, granted, especially when you've already kind of, you're already in the major leagues, you kind of, generally you get a little bit more time, but you don't always. The floor is that they are not professional baseball players in 2022. And that is sad. It's sad for us. There are players that we have liked and continue to like who get released or get injured or make poor choices and get released or get, you know, get traded and it doesn't work out with another organization and, you know, it's not a good situation for them. For all of these guys, the floor is that they are not professional baseball players after this year. Someone that we like is going to get released by the club this year, like midseason in the minor leagues. Now, it's probably not likely to be one of the particularly high-ranked prospects. But when, you know, they're trying to clear out roster space and the guy's, you know, hitting 150 and not doing anything, you know, even though he has some, you know, whether it be draft track record or had a good season once, et cetera, et cetera, that'll happen. That is going to happen. And if that doesn't happen, at the end of the season, some of those types of guys are going to become minor league free agents and the Braves just aren't going to bring him back. They're just going to let them, you know, try to peddle their wares elsewhere. There have been players that we've we've seen that happen with. Now, with Michael Harris in particular, what it comes down to is when you look at physical tools, he has he has all of them. You don't worry about raw power. You don't worry about raw hit. You don't worry about his arm strength. I mean, he was going to be a he he was considered more of a pitching prospect in the draft than a hitting one, right? You don't worry about arm strength. Looked good in the outfield. He can run. Those are the tools. So his ceiling is an everyday outfielder that is an all-star. I really don't like what was done to him this spring, though, when you talk about left-handed Ronald Acuna and stuff like that. Because, and I know you weren't saying that. You were just kind of saying, you know, in terms of like a specific thing that he does that reminded you of him. I understand that. But when, I, I, I abhor comps because I think that sometimes they're lazy. You just find like a, a like a, a really toolsy athletic guy, and then that's just kind of that's just what that group of that's just what that group of types of players are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I could see I could see Michael stealing a bunch of bases and not hitting a bunch of home runs. I could see him hitting a bunch of home runs and not stealing a whole ton, a ton of bases. He's still 19. He's still kind of grown into his body, and we're still going to be kind of figuring out what he wants to be. He's not just growing in terms of like, you know, like from 19 to 20, you just kind of like grow a little bit, but he's sculpting his body. He's sculpting that skill set. Is he going to focus on one thing more than the other? We don't know how that's going to work. If he like, you know, he realizes like, you know, if I do this, if I work out my, you know, my arms or my lower half in a certain way, all of a sudden I have a lot more power and I can start really kind of doing that kind of damage. And that's what kind of player I could be. I could see that happen. You know, any range from like, you know, like Ronald Acuna to Christian Pache to Jason Hayward to, you know, there's a bunch of different types of guys who are crazy athletic that had very different outcomes in what the overall production was in terms of how it came out. Whereas they were all very valuable players, right? These are all very valuable players, but they get there in different ways, even though physically they're a lot closer than you'd think. So the ceiling is, you know, an everyday all-star. The concern I have, right, and it's a concern that everyone should have 
with any in particular prep bats that are prospects is the hit tool. That's it. And there's nothing about what Michael Harris has done on the field that makes me worry about that. It's just that the track record of, of high school bats is that there's always going to be a period of time where they reach a level and they realize this is a much more advanced level of hitting, of pitching rather. Can I make the adjustment to continue to produce against them? We've seen guys that get stuck at double A. That's generally where the wall is. They get stuck at double A and all of a sudden they just can't get past. They can't hit those guys and they never get past there. Good prospects get stuck there. And then we see young guys like Ronald Acuna Jr. who get there and hit balls where they haven't hit them before. I mean, those are two opposite ends of the spectrum. Now, am I willing to bet on Michael? Of course I am. We put him in the top five of our prospect list for a reason. But I think it's important to realize that all those raw tools don't matter if the game hit tool isn't there. If he has the game hit tool, then all of a sudden all those raw tools start playing. But if he's not hitting particularly against advanced competition, that's where the concern would lie. At AA, can he hit that, that those more advanced off-speed pitches? Do breaking balls give him trouble? Is there Does he have any sort of platoon splits? You know, How do those pitchers pitch to him, and how does he adjust to that? What adjustments does he make, not just from, from uh, in at bat and per, in each swing, but in his preparation? What is he doing differently? Those are the things, those are the adjustments that we have to see him make, and it's not fair to say that he won't make them. You know, he is a young guy, but it's also worth mentioning that, you know, all those tools don't, like, those tools don't matter if he doesn't hit. You know you know what I mean? I mean, like, sure, every baseball once in a while, you'll, you'll yank one. Yeah, baseball's hard. Baseball is just really free. I just remember that one, that one viral Twitter post where the guy was like, I can luck into a home run. I'm just like, dude, you can luck into maybe getting hit by a pitch. Like... Baseball yeah, if you dove really in front of the home plate, hard. you might be able to make get on base. You might. Yeah. <laughs> and if the and if the other pitcher knew you were trying to get hit by pitch, no, you're not. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Or or he's gonna make you earn it by putting it somewhere you don't want it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? Like baseball the, is very very hard. <clears throat> that's why you see so many players that we love that just don't. Like you said, they just don't develop, and it's not a knock on them. It's just it's it, you got to be supremely gifted to be able to excel at this sport in particular because you're trying to hit a tiny little ball that's being thrown at you sometimes at 103 miles an hour, and you have less than like what what was it like point two tenths of a second to react to it, decipher it's, if it's going to be a fastball or a breaking ball. If it's going to be a breaking ball, what kind of breaking ball? Where is it going to land? Like you have to do all this. In the, in a split second. And it's just, that's why so many players don't succeed. That's why the attrition rate is so high. Hell, that's why being a pitcher alone is really hard. Like, to be able to do that repeatedly, thousands and thousands and thousands of times, like, none of it is easy whatsoever. And, and, and the laws of physics are not kind on the human body. They're just not. It doesn't make sense for pitching. Like, if we're looking at a pure physics standpoint, you should be throwing everything underhanded. Like, none of it makes sense, and yet we that's one of the reasons why we love it. But, again, like like Eric is saying, it's just so tough. He's, he's 19, guys. He was facing John Smith out, out of Alpharetta, like, two years ago. And, you, and we're talking over here about him potentially going up against 
like the Kershaws, the Degroms. Like he he's got he needs time, and that's why we love doing what we do. It's because it's like when you see someone special like that, it's like oh, okay, he has the make the the mental makeup. He has the ability to do it, but will he? Like it, it's no one knows. Like literally nobody knows. Yeah, and we're and look, we're still betting on it. Like I don't want to like pour water on like all this. Michael Harris love, <clears throat> if for no other reason that it makes us feel good, considering the bet we made. But, and he's been among all the Braves prospects in camp, he's been the most impressive. Right? Like, I don't, I don't think that's actually that much of a question. He's gotten the attention of a lot of the beat writers there now. Um, and he, he's just, he's looked good. Uh, so I but like his chances opposite. against, go ahead. I'm sorry for interrupting you once more. Like he had an opposite field home run off of a breaking ball at 19 years of age against a major league baseball player. Like that alone is worthy of any, all, all sorts of praise, like all sorts of praise for being able to do that. So like, yeah, sorry. No, 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 no. Like I, I get, I get what you're saying. Like, and that's an important part of it, right? Like good things have happened in camp against more advanced pitching. So like you should be betting on Michael Harris, but understand that it's a bet. It is not like a sure thing investment. It's just not right. Uh, and I could see him being the top best prospect in the system by midseason. I could see him falling like ten spots easily too. It, it just could happen. And you know, so are those concerns? The concerns that we have are just how young he is and how quickly things can change for guys who are that young. You know. At the end of the day, I think that when he gets to double A, he's going to start really kind of getting on a lot of people's radars, and he's going to start shooting up some prospect lists in a hurry. But I'm not going to be like completely shocked and astounded if he has if he struggles. I'm just not. So if he if he does if he does what we think he's capable of doing in double A, that man's going to be a top thirty prospect like easily. And then we're we're talking about top fifteen, top ten. Like the, those are the that's the capability that he has. But like Eric said. It's just, you just don't know. He's super young. Will the hits will play? We're betting on him. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically it. I'm sorry. I've interrupted you countless times on this in particular. You don't don't bother (laughs) me. I'm not worried about that. You, no one should be mad. Like, I'm sure someone's going to be like, you know, like, yeah, I couldn't understand what Eric was saying because Rob was interrupting him. And I'm like, yeah, we're having a conversation and we're, we're on the same page, right? Like, this is how, you should see our chat room where like, there's like two, three different conversations going on. One of which is completely out of left field. Uh, actually, there's several of them we just like can't, like, we couldn't talk about on the podcast because I think like we'd be like reported to iTunes, uh, because there's a lot of bizarre stuff that happens in that chat. And I like when it's freeform. I like that there's a free exchange of ideas. Um, and I think that, you know, kind of otherwise it feels like really scripted and stilted. Uh, and, you know, playing back and forth, you're not bothering me. Um, but with that said, we have been running significantly longer than I was planning on, but that's okay. This is, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Grav, do you have anything you want to share with the listeners before we let them go? Get vaccinated. So we can see you at all these games over the course of the summer because I plan on seeing a whole lot of baseball. I could not agree more. If you are able and eligible, please go get vaccinated. I want to see all of you out at the base, at the ballparks. I want to catch up with readers and fans. I want to catch up with players. I want all these minor league organizations to succeed, uh, from our old friends at Rome and Mississippi to our new friends at Augusta, the Augusta Green Jackets games. The way that that happens is that we, all of us get healthy and get safe. And, you know, 
you can say what you want, that, but one of the easiest ways we can do that is to wear masks and get vaccinated. So please do so. I want to see all of you. I want you all to be happy and healthy. Uh, I feel like all of our all of our team feels the same way about that. Uh, make sure that if you're wanting to catch up with uh, episodes as they come out, make sure you follow the Twitter account for the podcast at Road the Number Two Atlanta. Uh, you'll see where podcast news gets pop, pops up there. Uh, if you have any mailbag callouts, we may do a few more of these. Who does? Uh, I really like doing these, and the, the before the season really kind of uh, is the best time to do that. Once when we don't have a lot of big time news to talk about. Um, after that, we're going to be doing a lot of coverage of the minor leagues as the season goes on. So make sure you're checking out the site at talkingchop.com where we're going to be starting up minor league recaps in what month and a half. Um, so a month and a half, you're going to start signing those minor league recaps again. It's going to be nice to get into the swing of those. Uh, this podcast, we're doing our absolute best to continue to keep it weekly. Uh, I'm going to try my, I'm also going to try to get Garrett back on the, on the show. Uh, once he has had some of his technical issues sorted out, same thing with Matt kind of getting some of his issues sorted out. We're going to keep rotating guys in and out, giving lots of different voices to talk about the minor leagues. Uh, as we prepare for the 2021 season, thank you all so much for listening to the podcast, downloading the podcast. If you want to continue listening to this podcast and you are not all, all, always already subscribed, make sure you subscribe to the Talking Chop podcast feed. Not only will you get this podcast, but you will get the great Talking Chop podcast hosted by the great Michigan fan, Brad Rowland. Uh, I make pretty regular appearances on that podcast. So does Scott Coleman. Uh, we've all kind of popped in. And also make sure you check out these locker room app uh, chats that uh, Chris and Garoff have been doing. Uh, it seems like they've been having a good time, and it's just another way to engage with all of you guys. Thank you all so much, and until next time, we'll see you on the road.